Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you, you well up praise within us, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. With all that is within us, we bless your holy name, it says, Father. But sometimes we don't feel like there's much within us. So that's when you, Lord, are, are so faithful to, to well up, to well up springs of praise, rivers of praise within us, Lord God. Even in the moments when we don't feel we have much to give, when we read, all that is within me, bless his holy name, and I'm like, I don't know what's within me that I'm going to give. You, Father, provide. You, Father, provide the living water. Father, you, Father, provide the drink. You provide the nourishment. You provide, Lord God, the, 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 everything that's needed, Lord God, that you want to hear from us. You put within us, Lord God, and we just push out what you put in. Thank you, Father, because you are faithful, Lord God. Because when you put in that little seed of praise, Lord God, it's got to come out. It's got to come out because the seed of praise that you put in within us, Lord God, is holy and it's imperishable seed, Lord God, and it's got to come out. That praise that you put in us has to come out. Let all that is within us bless his holy name. You're like, I don't, I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything within us. I don't know you're saying, good, I'm going to put a seed of praise within you, and that thing is going to grow. Roots are going to go into your toes, and then the, the shoots are going to grow into your hands, and all of a sudden your hands are going to go up. like, what is this branch coming out of my body? And it's the seed that has become mature, the seed of praise that was planted in within you. When it says, let all that is within you bless his holy name, it's not dependent upon how much we have within us. It's what he puts within us. And what he puts within us will grow. Will grow. Will grow. Because it's always good seed what he puts within us. It's always good seed what he puts within us. We know the parable of all those seeds and the ones that go to the rocks and go on the way and all these other ones that dry up from the sun. Your seed is always good seed. You are the good sower, and your seed is always good. It will always find its lodging. It will always find its root. It will always find good soil. Let all that is within me bless his holy name. Thank you, Father, for putting within us a spirit of praise. Thank you, Lord God, for putting within us a praise that's not pertaining and not related to the circumstance that we're in. Thank you, Lord God, that you give us a praise that surpasses understanding. You say you give us a peace that surpasses understanding. You give us a praise that surpasses understanding. And, Father, for anyone here who feels like they ain't praising, I pray that today you give them a praise that surpasses understanding. Surpasses the understanding of how their life is. Surpasses understanding of how 2022 went for them. Hey, it wasn't 2020. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So, Father, we ask, Lord God, for that seed of praise to come within us because that's all we need is a seed. That's all we need is a seed. You give us the seed, Lord God, it will turn into the tree. It will turn into that tree, that fruit tree, Lord God, that will bear fruit. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God, that you inhabit the praise. You inhabit the praise. Thank you, Father, that you inhabit the praise. Thank you, Father.
Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Father, for inhabiting. Thank you, Father, for inhabiting us. Thank you for making your dwelling within us, Lord God. You are a good sower. You are a sower of good seed, and you dwell within us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord God, that you don't let this field go untilled, unworked. Father, you, we know that Yeshua is the one who bought the field for the treasure in the field. But you are not done with the field. You are not done. You're not done. You're not done. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Father. 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 What a blessing it is to give uh, an offering of praise in the middle of our in the middle of our circumstances, in the middle of our trials, in the middle of the tough times in our life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you for reminding us for reasons to praise you even in the middle of the junk and the gook and the muck. Thank you, Lord God, that in those times, in the middle of our, our, our darkest times, Lord God, you are worthy to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. We don't know what's going to happen from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. We don't know if it's going to be a good day or a bad day or an okay day. The day is going to be either really good or really bad or just okay. Either way, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The name of the Lord is to be praised. Father, I pray that you plant the seed of praise in the middle of our story. In the middle of our story. In the middle of the story, when things get tense, in the middle of our story, when things look unclear, in the middle of our stories, when things seem to not be going the way that we kind of thought they should, in the middle of the story. See, God is the author. <laughs> He's the author. He's the author. And he's the finisher. But it doesn't just say that he's the starter. He says he's the author. That means he knows pretty darn well how to write a good story. He's a pretty good author. He's on the New York Times bestseller list. Actually, these days, they don't have him on it. But he should be. He's on the bestseller list. He's a good author. And he writes a good story. And stories always start out pretty hopeful. And often they end with really good results. And how many know that in Messiah we have the best end of our story? 
Come on, somebody. We got a good end. We got the best. We got the best end of the story. The middle is where things get a little unclear. The middle of those places when is when we see the beginning of the story is when we get the word from God. It's like, you have a calling and you're going to do this. You're going to be a prophet to the nation. It's at the end of the story when the prophecy is fulfilled. It's in the middle of the story. When this prophecy given to us, the calling given to us has to work. It has to go through trial and struggle. It has to go through things that we never thought we'd have to go through in the beginning of the story when everything was great, when we accepted the Lord. You know, when that evangelist told you that when you accept Jesus, everything's going to be good, that dude was lying. Salvation ain't the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. But you got to get through the middle of the story to get to the fulfillment, the good end, that awesome end. And it's in the middle of the story when God wants us to praise him. It's in the middle of the story. That's when he plants that seed of praise. In the middle of the story, when things look dark and things look tough, and when there's loss and when there's trauma and when there's death. Puts a seed right there that's going to grow in that thing. It's going to grow in that thing. It's no coincidence that horse poop makes good fertilizer. Come on, somebody. Manure makes good fertilizer. Manure makes good fertilizer. Manure makes good fertilizer. There's a reason for that. Helps the seed grow. So today we're going to try to find a little bit of praise in the middle of the story. So we're in our Torah portion, Vayagash. Vayagash, Vayagash, and I tell you that in this Torah portion of Vayagash, we're going to find an oh my gosh, within Vayagash, we're going to read Vayagash, and we're going to go, oh my gosh, thank you, Father, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So we're in the story of Joseph. And we know the story of Joseph. And those of us in Messianic Judaism know it really well. Because we see very clearly a picture of Yeshua in the story of Joseph. He was a brother of the 12 tribes, one of the brothers. He said in the beginning, I'm going to be king. I'm king over you. They didn't want him to be king. So they cast him out. They sold him over to Gentiles to be killed. 
but he was, wasn't really dead. He wound up being like second in command over a Gentile nation. Do you see it? Now, the Jewish brothers thought he was done. We, we did away with the thing. We got rid of the problem. But really, he was a leader over a Gentile nation. In the end, the tribes needed to come to him. And at the end, he looked like an Egyptian to them. He looked foreign to them. He didn't look like one of their Hebrew brothers. He didn't have the black top hat and the big beard and the teeth and the pace hanging down the sides of his ears. They didn't look, he didn't look the part. But he was him. He was their savior. He was their Jewish brother. He was their redeemer. They saw him. They were in front of him. They didn't recognize him. He looked like a foreign king. It's the way it is with Jews and Jesus. He's their brother and the redeemer. But he looks like a foreign, over a foreign nation, foreign leader over a foreign nation, foreign God over a foreign nation. But we see in the story of Joseph that Joseph, in the fullness of time, took off his Egyptian garments. He took it off. And he said, I am Joseph. And he revealed himself to his Jewish brothers for who he really is. And we in Messianic Judaism, we believe that this is going to happen with Israel and Yeshua. It's going to happen. It's a prophecy. It's a whole story of Joseph is a prophecy of Israel and Jesus and Yeshua. It's an amazing story. And we are blessed by the story of Joseph because I'll tell you something. If there's anybody had a rough middle of his story... It's Joseph. He had a good beginning, you know, had all the you know, dreams he's going to be king and, you know, all the, you know, the sheaves are bound to him. The, the stars are bound to him, you know. Good beginning, tough middle, but glorious end. And we're always encouraged by the story of Joseph because of that, because we relate to those times that we are in the middle of something and in the middle of our story and the challenges that we have in the middle of our story. And we relate to how God, even though he went through challenging times, at the end of it, his eyes were opened and he even said to his brothers, don't even fight amongst yourselves. What happened to me was from God to bring about deliverance for Israel. Don't even fight. Don't fight. Don't, don't worry about it. Don't apologize anymore. Don't worry about it. It was from God. And this is a place that God wants us to be brought to when we look at the deep challenges in our life and at the end of it, when we see the purpose and the fulfillment, we say, I'm not, I don't even fight about it anymore. This was from God because I see his fingerprint on it. But Joseph didn't see the fingerprint in the middle of his story. He just had to go through it. He had to go through the rejection. He had to go through the false imprisonment, imprisonment for something he didn't do. Until the end of the story. In the middle of the story of Joseph. In the middle of the story of Joseph. The place where we need to praise him from. We are introduced to another character. Whose name is Judah. Whose name means praise. In the middle of the story of Joseph. We're introduced to a man named Praise. 
if you want to talk about praising him, in the middle of the story, we are introduced to a man whose name is literally praise, literally, literally means praise, in the middle of the story of Joseph. And it's a strange kind of left turn that's taken because we're in the story of Joseph and now he's taken off, he's, he's sold to the Ishmaelites to go to Egypt and now all of a sudden there's like this left turn and we got to follow the story of Judah, praise. So let's do that and let's see as we follow the story of praise, Judah, praise. Let's see if we can find for ourselves some praise, some praise, some praise, some praise in the middle of our story. Some praise in the middle of our story. Some thanksgiving in the middle of our story. Some worship in the middle of our story. Some hallelujahs in the middle of our story. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Judah, Judah, Judah. He was the fourth son of Leah. The middle son. She had three children before. Three children after. Praise in the middle. Praise in the middle. Praise in the middle. And there's revelation in that. And we've spoken, to that, spoken about that as well. That when she first had her first child, Reuben, you know, she named him Reuben because she, she said, like, because God gave me a son, surely my husband will love me. Reuben was named because she so desperately wanted the love of her husband, that she named him Reuben. God will see, see me. God will see me. So I'm going to name him Reuben because God will see me because I'm so unloved by my husband. It's all about a stinking husband. Then the second one, Shimeon. You know, Shimeon, oh God, God hears my prayers that I'm unloved by my husband. It's all about the husband. It's all about her trying to get the love of her husband. When he just had the hots for the sister. That's a terrible place to be. Third son, Levi or Levi, you know, maybe now my husband will be attached to me. But the middle child, she said, I'm going to name him Judah because this time I will praise the Lord. Never mind what man thinks. Never mind what he thinks. No more naming my kids after my husband who doesn't love me. This time I'm going to praise the Lord. This time I'm going to praise the Lord. This time, my focus is going to be on the Lord, not on people. And this is how Judah gets his name. So Judah, we're introduced to him in the middle of the story of Joseph. Now, it's very interesting that after Joseph gets sent off to Egypt, it all of a sudden takes that left turn with Judah. And it says that it came about that time that Judah descended from his brothers. Now, the Hebrew word there, descend, if you look in some of the rabbinic writings, it doesn't just mean, they say it doesn't just mean he descended as in like he went away from his, his, his brothers. It says that he descended in rank. He descended from his brothers. Let me explain. Amongst the brothers, the 12 tribes, there were some of them that were leaders. Some were kind of special, and some of them were just meh. Okay? Reuben was special because he was the firstborn. Gad is just Gad. You don't really hear much from Gad. You know? Reuben was special. Right? Joseph was special. We know how he was loved. He had the coat of many colors and all these types of things. Like he was very, very loved by his father. Very special. You know, Zebulun. Yeah. Not much about Zebulun. Actually, Zebulun has a really good prophecy 
you know, when Jacob was given the little prophecies to all his kids? We're going to discover that next Torah portion. Zebulun is told that he's going to live by the sea. I think that's cool because if God gave me a prophecy that I was going to have waterfront property, I'd be okay with that. But Judah was another leader amongst the brothers. He was special. He was special because he had a special calling. He was going to be the ancestor of the line of kings. The kings were going to come from him. The kings, including Yeshua, the Messiah himself. What a calling. He's the guy that's going to be the forebearer of the whole line of kings. But he descended from that place. At least the rabbis say he descended because of his role in what happened to Joseph. See, he, this leader of the tribes, Judah, was also a leader in the plot to sell Joseph away to the Gentiles. This leader of the brothers, stay with me, this leader of the brothers was a leader in the plot to cast Joseph out. And that was devastating to dad. We know that, to Jacob. Jacob was entirely devastated, and it was Judah's fault, at least partly. And he descended from his brothers. So why do we think that it's right? That it's not just he went away from his brothers, but he descended even in his stature. Well, we know a couple things. Number one, he took a Canaanite for a wife. If we follow the story, he took a Canaanite for a wife. Now, if you remember what the forefathers told their kids, don't take a Canaanite wife. They're going to lead you astray. Yet here he is taking a Canaanite wife. That's not good. We know that his kids were evil. The first kid, Ur. It's probably 800 jokes about that. I'm not going to... But he's, he's evil. He's just evil, and God kills him, it says. The second son, Onan, uh, did what is displeasing. Like, in, in that time, the, when a brother dies, the, when somebody dies, the brother, or the, really the next of kin, is supposed to marry the widow and propagate the line. And Onan wouldn't do that. He wouldn't impregnate Tamar. Tamar was the woman who was originally supposed to marry Ur, and then was to marry Onan, the brother, and he refused to do it, if you know what I'm talking about. He refused to do it. So God thought that was evil. He gets killed. So now the third son is supposed to, Shelah, is supposed to, is supposed to marry her, uh, supposed to marry Tamar, Tamar. But Judah says, you know, just stay in your father's house. Put on a widow's garment and stay there. And just, just wait. Yeah, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you my third son when the time comes. But really, he had no intent no intent on giving his third son to Tamar because he thought that, those, that he was going to die too. In other words, he blamed Tamar for the death. He thought there was something weird with her. Maybe she was a witch or something like that. There was something about her that caused the death of the other two boys. And he's like, oh, you just stay where you are. Put on these widow's garments and stay there forever. And Tamar was a righteous woman. 
She didn't do anything wrong. And she had the same calling. She was going to be the one to carry on the line, the messianic line. And now she's being told, put on widow's garments and stay there forever. Have you ever had like a calling on your life? But somebody wants to put garments on you that will defeat that calling and defeat that purpose that you have, you know? So here she is with this amazing calling. Like she married into Judah's family. That's like the family jackpot. She was going to bring forth the Messiah. Susie and I, when we adopt cats, we say that they won the family jackpot. <laughs> Tamar won the family jackpot. She was going to bring forth kings, her. But here she is being told by this broken guy. So the picture that I want to paint here. Oh, and also about Judah. When he eventually came with Tamar, what was she doing? She was what? Did everybody know the story? She dressed like a prostitute. Just Judah was seeing prostitutes. So I want to paint a picture here. He married a Canaanite. His kids were evil. And he was seeing prostitutes. Okay? Let's just be real here. Let's be biblical. He was seeing prostitutes. This is not a picture of a righteous man. This is a picture of a fallen man. He descended from his brothers. That word descend in Hebrew is fallen. He fell. He fell. It's believed that he fell because of the guilt that he felt, because of the pain that he caused his father in his role with what happened with, the, with Joseph. But he fell. He fell into sin. So I want to paint the picture of two people. Judah, who had the calling to bring forth Messiah, but was fall in a fallen state, a sinful state, doing things, a lot of things he shouldn't, went away from his family and was doing a whole lot of stuff he shouldn't be doing. Backslidden. Anybody know anybody backslidden? He was backslidden. That's the middle of his story. Here we have Tamar, also had the same calling, to bring forth Yeshua, to bring forth the kings, being told to lock away with widow's garments on you forever. These are two people who had callings, but had a tough middle. But the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. And if it's irrevocable, it doesn't have to do with how well we're walking it out. It means that God's going to use the middle and bring about what he needs to bring out because the gifts and callings are irrevocable. This in Romans 11 is specifically about the Jewish people. And Paul has to remind these Gentiles, remember the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. All the promises that God had over Israel, he's going to fulfill. It's got nothing to do with how, what they do or what they don't do or how well they do. He's going to do it. God's going to do it because his gifts and callings are irrevocable. And Judah had a calling, and Tamar had a calling, but the gifts, and they, they seem to walk away from their callings, and they're both in very destitute places. Maybe you relate to one or the other when he was Judah who was backslidden, or Tamar just had to put widow's garments on and just stay away forever. But the gifts and callings are irrevocable. So, Tamar gets word that Judah is coming to town. And Tamar does something 
unusual, radical. Sometimes we got to do something radical to take our calling. Perhaps she knew that Judah had a propensity for this kind of thing. She takes off her widow's garments. She puts on the garments of a prostitute. She goes to the side of the road, probably by the lamppost. Smoke billowing up from the sewers. Cat meowing in the background. Here comes Judah in his Cadillac. Pulls up beside her. Rolls down the window. She comes over to the window. Bends into the car. He says, hey, baby. Get in. She says, I'm going to get in. But I don't do this stuff for free, you know. You got to give me something. What do you got? And he said, I got a goat. And she said, that sounds good. I'll take the goat. And he said, well, I don't have the goat with me. I got to go back to where I'm staying and get you that goat. And she said, well, I need something. I'll take the goat. But I got to get some collateral while you're away. What do you got? And what she took as collateral says that she took his signet, his cord, and his staff. The rabbis debate what all these things mean. The signet is really his identity, it's his identity. It's his identity. Judah the forebearer of the lion. The cord, the Hebrew word is patil. It's the other time we see the word patil is when it comes to artsitzit. Do you know how where it says that there's um, a blue cord? Um, blue cord on artsitzit. The, the blue is called techelet, techelet. In scripture, it's called a uh, patil, techelet, blue cord. Blue cord. That blue cord on our tzitzit is righteousness. That's the Holy Spirit. That's divinity within our, our, our day-to-day life. Every thread is like our day-to-day life, and that blue cord is like God within it. That's what it resembles. And we're supposed to look at the cord. We're supposed to look at our tzitzit and remember the ways of God. He gave that away. It's the one thing he was still doing that was actually righteous. He was doing everything wrong. He was married a Canaanite. He was seeing prostitutes. But he was wearing his seat seat. He gave it away. The third thing is his staff. His staff is his authority. It's his authority as the leader. It's a leadership staff. It's the staff of the tribe of Judah that identified him as the guy, the leader of the tribe of Judah. His Identity in his signet, signet, his righteousness in his cord, and his leadership, his monarchy leadership, his kingly leadership. All of that went away to a supposed prostitute. 
I want to conclude, surmise from this, that every bit of identity that he still had with his calling to be the forebearer of kings, he gave away. He wasn't living a righteous life. He was doing a lot of bad stuff. But he still knew who he was. He had his signet ring. He still knew who he was. He had his staff. Lion of the tribe of Judah. He gave it all away. Everything that identified him with his calling to bring forth the Mashiach is now gone to a hooker. But the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Don't call the middle of the story the end of the story. And Tamar, I mean, what she did to take on the garments of a prostitute. See, it's one thing to have a calling to bring forth naturally the line of kings and naturally the Mashiach. But that's not enough for God. You have to be Messiah-like to have the calling come forth. It's not just uh, not enough to have the, just to have, I'm the calling, I'm the one that's going to be the forebearer, I'm going to bring it forth. Naturally, you need to be Christ-like. And Tamar, in her destitute state, awakened that reality that he who knew no sin became sin. She took off her garden, garment and put on a, a garment of sin so Judah can be saved. So Judah can be the righteousness of God. Do you understand it? She was being Messiah-like by putting on like a garment of sin like Yeshua did. She was being Christ-like because it's not enough to just have a calling. You're going to bring forth the Messiah. You have to be like him, and he wants us to be like him, and he will use the middle of our stories to make us like him. Thank you, Father. Let's go back now to our Torah portion, Vayagash, where we'll find our, oh my gosh. Joseph is still masked in his Egyptian garments. You know, he's still singing the bangles or whatever. And he's playing a game with the brothers. He takes his cup, puts it into Benjamin's cup, ben Benjamin's bag, sends them away. All of a sudden, he chases after, who stole my cup? It's in Benjamin's bag. All right, we've got to kidnap Benjamin. Everybody goes back to your dad. I'm keeping Benjamin. Who is Benjamin? Benjamin was the smallest of the tribes. He was the smallest tribe. He was the smallest tribe. Even later on with King Saul, he, Saul said, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm the least the least of the tribes. I'm from the least. Like, why would you want me to be king, King Saul said. I'm from the smallest tribe. Least. The least. The least of the tribes is Benjamin. So Joseph is saying to his brothers, you go back to your dad. I'm keeping Benjamin here. Bad situation. 
in steps Judah. Judah who had nothing. Judah who gave up his calling. Judah who gave up his staff. Judah who was seeing prostitutes. Judah who was backslidden. Judah who was falling. Judah who had nothing left to give. In sexual sin, had nothing to give. Steps up and says, take me and release the boy. Judah had nothing left of himself. He was broken fully. And everything that identified him with his calling to bring forth the kings, King David, down through Mashiach, was given away to a prostitute. He had nothing left. So he gives his life to save the least of his brothers. And when he did that, something awakened spiritually. It was by his action of giving his life to save the least of his brothers is when Joseph loses it and says everybody away and he reveals himself to his brothers. The connection, the, the, the reconnection of Joseph with his brothers, the revealing of who he really is, the catalyst of that was sinful Judah stepping up and saying, release the least of my brothers and take me instead because it's not enough to have the calling. You have to be Christ-like. And when he did that, he activated the scripture that said, when Yeshua said, who does the least of these to my brothers, the least of my brothers you do to me. He activated the scripture which said, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. He activated the scripture which says, greater love has no one than this, that a person will lay down his life for his friend. It's not enough to just have a calling. It's, it's a, you have to be Christ-like. Like the Mashiach. And in a moment in his utter destitution and brokenness, he steps to the plate and willingly gives his life to save another. And everything changed. Everything changed. Fast forward now to the end of the story. Next Torah portion. The kids are getting their prophecies. All is right with the world. The family's back together. Dad's happy again. The kids are getting their prophecies. Zebulun gets his waterfront. You know? Steps up Judah. Judah steps up to dad. And dad says, the scepter will never depart from you, nor the staff from between your feet. Didn't he just give up his staff in sin? But God used his destitution to bring forth deliverance. And he was Mashiach-like in that moment. And now the prophecy 
is activated. Behold, a lion's cub. The scepter will never depart. He gave it all up to a prostitute. Now he gets a scepter. He gave up his staff. He gets the scepter forever. And the prophecy is fully activated. This is why God wants us to praise him in the middle of our story. Because he's not done because he's using this time to bring forth the deliverance. He's using this time to activate Messiah within you. And all of the stuff in the middle of the story, the hard things you go through in the middle of the story, is food for the calling that he's bringing you to. And this is why we praise him in the middle of our story. Hallelujah. Is there anyone that has a praise in the middle of your story today? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We know, we know, we know. We know, we know. We know we go through hard times, Lord God. But you have planted a seed of praise there that is going to crack open and roots are going to grow and shoots are going to grow out, Lord God. Because you have planted it in the middle of our junk, in the middle of our trial, Lord God. But we will not call the middle of our story the end of our story. We have to go through the middle, but we will praise you from that place. Like Judah's name was praised, the middle child. Like in the middle of this deliverance story of Joseph, we find the story of Judah. Praise. We will praise you in the middle of our story. We will praise you in the middle of our story. We will praise you in the middle. We will praise you in the middle. We 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 praise you in the middle. He who's begun a good work will surely bring it to completion until the day of Messiah Yeshua. Thank you, Father. In Yeshua's name, amen.